I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 69 as we continue our series in praying through the Psalms. And um, I want to start by telling you um, an account of a missionary whose name was John Payton. And he was in the New Hebrides Islands. He was not the first missionary to go to the New Hebrides Islands, but all of the other missionaries prior to him had been killed by the native people. Um, One night, the natives surrounded his home and uh, they were intent on on killing uh, the Peyton family and and burning down their home. Um, Peyton and his wife, as you can imagine, prayed through the night. They were very fearful. They said it was a a terror-filled night. And when daylight came, they were still alive inside their home. It hadn't been burnt down. And uh, they looked outside and all of the attackers, to their amazement, had left. About a year later, the chief of the tribe was converted to Christ. And remembering what had happened, Peyton asked the chief what had kept them from burning down the house and killing them. And the chief was surprised and he said, well, we saw all the men you had there. Uh, Peyton knew that no men were present, but the chief said he was afraid to attack because all of these men in shining garments and with their swords drawn were circling their home. And I absolutely believe that God can work in miraculous ways like that if he chooses to do so. But that doesn't mean that on every occasion he'll do it. Every Daniel, for every Daniel there is that's protected from the mouths of the lions, There is a Stephen who's violently stoned to death. For every John Payton that God rescues from the enemy, miraculously, there's a Jim Elliot or a Nate Saint that God calls home to glory. So help is available, but it's not automatic. God may rescue us from danger or he may take us through danger or difficult circumstances. In this psalm, David is taken by God through these difficult circumstances. We've already looked at one messianic psalm, Psalm 22. A messianic psalm is any psalm that, uh, for the most part, talks about Jesus or is used by Jesus. Psalm 22 is pretty well known because Jesus quotes from this psalm on the cross. And after that psalm, Psalm 22 and also Psalm 110, uh, Psalm 69, also a messianic psalm, is the most frequently quoted psalm in the New Testament. Uh, You've got this on your outline. Seven of the 36 verses are directly quoted and others are alluded to in the Gospels. Um, This psalm is about David and it's uh, very vulnerable. He's hurting deeply and he's asking God to help him through his struggles, help him to deal with them and especially with his enemies. And the psalm relates to all of us because we can all, it's such a common experience, we can all relate to this. Um, Psalm 69 models for us, if you will, the value of of putting into words whatever we're going through, even if at times we don't feel like we really can put it into words. 
And so as we look at this psalm, keep in mind that there are three levels uh, that this psalm is talking about. It's talking about David's situation. It's, it's looking ahead to Jesus and his zeal for God's house and his suffering. And then it's talking to us about our own situation and the struggles that we're going through in our lives. So David is bringing a couple of very important concerns to the Lord, a deliverance and then also judgment on the people that are against him. And then he ends on this amazing note of praise. So I, I think that we've all felt like the psalmist at times, overwhelmed with whatever we're going through, problems that we can't seem to get a hold on in our own life's pressures that we just don't think we can take any more pressure, demands on us that we feel like we can't meet. And at the end of our, we're at the end of our ability, we feel like even to pray. Do you have struggles like that? Struggles maybe emotionally, that you're just things that you're struggling with inside of you, or maybe there's things that are going on relationally in a relationship with, a, with another person. Maybe it's financial. Uh, maybe it's uh, in, on, on one of those levels. There's something that's going on that, that is, is hard for you right now. David uses some really powerful uh, images that describe very vividly what he was feeling. And if you're, it's kind of like, you know, it's, uh, David talks about being in waters up to his neck and, and stuck in a swamp where he can't gain a foothold. And it's kind of like us being, talking about being in troubles up to our necks. We just feel like, like we've had enough. Well, the first thing that David talks about, number one on your outline, and again, I encourage you to follow along in the outline and, and uh, with the blanks there. The first one is rescue, the word rescue. David prays, save me. In this first section, really down to verse 18. And the tone of the, of the psalm is set here. We see that he's grieving for his situation and he appeals to God for help. And so David begins by asking for delivery specifically for himself. That's again on the outline. So verse one, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The, the floods engulf me. I'm worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. So he says in verse one, save me. But this, this kind of uh, theme continues, if you will. Look at verse 14. Rescue me from the mire, he says. Do not let me sink. Deliver me from those who hate me, from the deep waters. Have you ever prayed that for yourself? Maybe even recently? Lord, save me. Lord, rescue me. Lord, deliver me. I think we can all relate to that on one level or another. And, and then look at verses 16 and 17. Answer me, O Lord, out of the goodness of your love and your great mercy, turn to me. In verse 18, David prays, come near and rescue me, deliver me again because of my foes. You know, we pray that for ourselves, but think of, we just prayed for Djibouti. Uh, where it's a, a majority Muslim country and, and we pray for a lot of countries where there are not many Christians. Talk about troubles. They have troubles. We don't even know some of the troubles that our brothers and sisters in the world are going through. And that's one of the reasons we pray for the countries of the world. So we can have that continually before us and, and know that we're, we're not alone in our struggles. In fact, our struggles are minimal compared to theirs. He prayed, but the Lord had not yet answered. David wanted an answer now. Look at verse 17. Do not hide your face from your servant. Answer me quickly, 
for I'm in trouble. David has been pleading with the Lord, but God has not answered him. You ever had unanswered prayer? Yeah, we've all had unanswered prayer. Prayers that we prayed that we were convinced that this was what God wanted for us, but it, it didn't turn out to be that way. But David kept praying. You know, Billy Graham's wife, Ruth, wrote a short one stanza poem that I think put it really well. Here's what she wrote. I will lay my wise before your cross and worship kneeling. My mind too numb for thought, my heart beyond all feeling. And worshiping, realize that I, in knowing you, don't need a why. I think we've all, like Ruth Graham, had unanswered prayers. And it's the mountaintop of faith that we need to, to climb, that where, where we leave our questions there at, the, at, at, at God's throne in worship. We, we know that God's in control, and we praise him for that. Are you willing to do that? When, when you have unanswered prayer, are you willing to, to seek God in faith and worship him? That's a way to exercise your faith. That's a way to grow in your faith as you do that in those times. And remember that although the psalmist was calling out on God here, he, he did not, God had not answered, but he did not stop calling on, out to God. He continued to pray. He continued to seek after the Lord. This psalm is proof of it. This is what the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. He says, pray without ceasing. If you want to memorize a verse today, we can memorize that one. It's three words. It's a pretty easy one to memorize. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. So what does that mean when Paul says that? I think that's the attitude that David has here. Well, first, and this is on your outline, the first thing it means is that we have a spirit of dependence. Reliance on God is the heart of prayer. So that even when we're not speaking consciously to God, there's this ongoing confidence and trust that we have in the Father. One author talks about, Richard Kelly talks about uh, having two levels of, 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 of conversation, if you will, when we're talking with someone. You know, when you're talking with someone, you're saying, Lord, I wanna be completely engaged in this conversation. But at the same time that we're talking to them, underneath it, we're talking to the Lord. And we're saying, Lord, give me wisdom as, how I, as to how I can encourage this person. Give me, uh, give me insight as to, as to how I can challenge them and, and, and uh, the, 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 the next thing that will help them move forward in their Christian life. And so there's these two levels, but they, they, it's, a, it's a dependence that we have on God. And pray without ceasing also means that we pray frequently. Romans 1.9 says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. You know, it's such a great thing when we pray for one another, when we say to each other, hey, I'm going to pray for you, and then we go away and do it. I, 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 you've probably been like me and then completely forgotten to pray for someone when you say you'll pray for them. That's why when somebody gives a request, I like to pray for them right there so that I don't forget. At least I've prayed for them one time. And then I find oftentimes God will bring that back to my mind. 
But when you say that you're going to pray for each other, let's make our prayers Romans 1-9 kind of prayers. God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Those are the kinds of prayers that we need to pray for each other. Um, we can be sure that Paul prayed for the churches. Uh, but he wasn't praying just for the church in Rome every second of every hour of every day. But I'm sure that he mentioned them often. I'm sure that he prayed for them regularly. And that's the same way that our prayers need to be with each other. And praying without ceasing means that we don't give up. That's also on your outline. We have a spirit of dependence. We pray frequently and we don't give up. Like David... Like the Apostle Paul, we lean on God all the time. We take our requests to him repeatedly. We take our requests to him often. We never give up looking to him for help. David was innocent of the charges of his enemies, uh, but he was being treated as if he was guilty, and he needed to have this attitude of prayer that he, 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 we see so clearly in this psalm. Look at verse 4. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. Many are my enemies without cause. Those who seek to destroy me, I am forced to restore what I did not steal. And isn't this what happened to Jesus? This is the exact thing that happened to him. He was sinless, and yet they treated him like one who was guilty. Jesus quotes verse 4 in the upper room, actually, in John, in John chapter 15. And he says this, but this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. Again, pointing back to Psalm 69. You know, the best commentary on these first four verses of Psalm 69 are actually in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 5. It says this, Jesus offered up, Jesus offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And if Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered, how much more will we learn obedience to God through the struggles that we have, through, through the ways that we suffer? God wants to teach us to be more like Jesus through whatever we go through. So David begins by asking for delivery for himself. And then in verses 6 through 12, David prays for the Lord's sake. That's on your outline. Because those who lied about David were blaspheming the name of the Lord, David didn't want God's people to suffer shame because of him. He was thinking of others. He wasn't just thinking of himself. Look at verse 6. Lord, the Lord Almighty, may those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me. God of Israel, may those who seek you not be put to shame because of me. So he wasn't just thinking of his own reputation. He was concerned that other followers of God might be disgraced because of what was happening to him. Yeah, I remember as a young Christian hearing Billy Graham interviewed. And someone asked him what it was like to be a, such a well-known evangelist. And he said, you know what? I live in fear that I will do something at some time, maybe not even meaning to, that will bring disgrace to the name of God. And you know what? I think that's a good prayer for all of us. Because all of us 
You know, the people around us, maybe you've told people around you, but I, I think the people around you are smarter than you think they are. They, they, I'm guessing know that you're a Christian. Maybe you've told them. That's a great thing to tell them. But you know what? They're watching you. They're, they're watching how you act during the week. And so you are representing the Lord at school when you're at school. You're representing the Lord when you're at work. You're representing the Lord in your neighborhood. Someone said this, and I don't, I don't even know who, who wrote it, but they said, um, we are the only Bible a careless world will read. We are the sinner's gospel. We are the scoffer's creed. We are the Lord's last message written in deed and word. What if the type is crooked or the print blurred? So we're all like a Bible that the people around us are reading. Maybe people that would never open their Bible are looking at us to see what a Christian really is, what it really is like to follow what God says in his word. It's a responsibility that we all have. And the heavy one. And then look at verses, uh, starting at verse seven. For I endure scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. I am a foreigner to my own family, a stranger to my own mother's children. For zeal for your house has consumed me. What Jesus says uh, as well in the gospels. And insults of those who insult you fall on me. The psalmist is right to want judgment on evil. We see that throughout the Old Testament. The Old Testament's like a constant reminder of the judgment of God. But Jesus takes that judgment on himself for us. The insults of those who insult you fall on me. That's what Jesus did for us. David's persecution here reminds us of, of what Jesus taught those who suffer uh, for righteousness sake in the Sermon on the Mount. He says in Matthew 5, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when, men, when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. When they blasphemed God, it was like they blasphemed David. And, and their attacks against David were, were like attacks against God. And David felt them. And I think this is a pretty amazing attitude that David has here. And, and he said, Lord, it's my pleasure only to please you, Father. And, and let their hatred of you fall on me. But he doesn't want them to hate God. He's, he doesn't want them to hate God. And, then, and he doesn't want those who believe in God to be discouraged. And then in verses 10 and 11, he says, when I weep and fast, I must endure scorn. When I put on sackcloth, people make sport of me. When David prays and repents, he's laughed at. The world doesn't seem to understand the gospel of God's grace. Where holy living and is the result of a of humble and dependent joy, and it's not so that we can earn our way to heaven. It's so easy when we go through a hard time saying, Lord, why? Back to Ruth Bell Graham's little poem. Why, Lord, is this happening to me? I've been so faithful to you, I thought you would return the favor to me. But remember, Jesus, they said, God said no to Jesus. Why do we think he's always going to respond positively to us? And so, in this passage here, we can, it's not so that we can earn our way to heaven. We can't do that. But if you're asking that question, that's a little 
bit of a, 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 a maybe a barometer that, that it, it, that's what we're doing. That's the attitude that we're having. That we want to, to earn our way to heaven. Because this is what, look at all we've done for God. And David's third argument for deliverance is based on God's character. It's on your outline. Look at verses, uh, starting at verse 13. But I pray you, you uh, pray to you, Lord, in the t- time of your favor, in your great love, O God, answer me with your sure salvation. Answer me, Lord, out of the goodness of your love. In your great mercy, turn to me. So yes, we should be passionate when we pray. But nothing will make us more dependent on God and his love and his wisdom than waiting for his timing. Psalm 27, verse 1 says, wait for the Lord. Be of good courage and I will strengthen you. Wait, I say, for the Lord. So we wait on God. It's not easy to wait on God. But that's what he's wanting us to do. That's what he does here. He doesn't answer David's prayer right away. We wait on God's timing. David has hope. Look at that passage in in verses 13 and 14 in God's goodness and his love and his mercy. And the number two on the outline is that David talks to God because David wants his name to be cleared. Judge my enemies, he says in verses 19 to 29. David told the Lord that his enemies had insulted him to the point that he was physically ill. Have you ever felt physically ill by something someone said to you? It just hurt so deeply. Look at verse 19. You know, and look at the words he uses here, these picture words. You know how I'm scorned and disgraced and shamed. All my enemies are before you. Scorn has broken my heart and has left me helpless. And in verse 21, he says, Let, they put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. And that didn't literally happen to David. David's using that here as a metaphor. But what, what David says in metaphor, Jesus, it actually happened to Jesus. Gall for my food and, and gave me vinegar for my thirst. In Matthew 27, uh, it says this, they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. And then a little bit later, immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. So then David prays that the Lord would judge his enemies and give them what they deserve. It's tempting, we're tempted to pray that, aren't we sometimes? Lord, give them what they deserve. Verse 24, pour out your wrath on them. Let your fierce anger overtake them. David has this zeal for justice. There's nothing wrong with having zeal for justice. The Old Testament, again, is all about justice. But Jesus came and he took the justice on himself. Somebody said, one commentator said, Jesus crowned justice with his atonement. That's what we rely on now. That's that's how we look at this psalm. We we say, man, Lord, thank you for for what Jesus did. And then look at verses 22 and 23. May the table set before them become a snare. May it become retribution and a trap. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. And then verse 28, David asks that his enemies be killed, that they be blotted out of the book of life. May they be, again, blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. 
Paul, the apostle, actually quotes that in Romans chapter 11 and applies it to Israel's religious complacency that led them to a spiritual blindness. And again, what a great prayer for us to pray, Lord, I don't wanna be spiritually blind. Help me to be sensitive to what you are saying to me through your word. Help me to respond in obedience to you. And so David knows that God is always keeping his promises. Secondly, he, he, he wants his name to be cleared. And then finally, and this is number three on the outline, is praise, it's praise to the Lord. Be glorified, O Lord, in verses 30 to 36. David wanted to be glorif- God to be glorified in his worship, which is our prayer on Sunday morning, that God is glorified in our worship. And I think this is such a great insight for us here because there's no suggestion that David's circumstances have changed. There's no suggestion here that the pain has been taken away. But what does David do? He, he's got this outpouring of praise. There is power in praise. Man, I, I know that there have been times when I've been discouraged and I've just said, okay, I'm just gonna praise God and thank God for the situation that I'm in right now. And I start praising and thanking him and all of a sudden in my mind there's this shift to, 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 to not think of the circumstances. Someone said, well, you know, why are you so discouraged under the circumstances? And, and my, my, the response is, what are we doing under the circumstances? We, we should not be under them. We should be over them. We should be looking at them from God's perspective, from his point of view. And that's what he gives us the power to be able to do. Look at verse 30. I will praise God's name in song. I will glorify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox, more than a bull with its horns and hooves. His prayer is that he will be a witness to the needy. Look at verse 32. The poor will see and be glad. You who seek God, may your hearts live. The Lord hears the needy and does not despise his captive people. And he prays to be a witness to all of creation. Look at verse 34. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and all that move in them. And he prays to be a witness to all of Israel. Look at verse 35. For God will save Zion and rebuild the cities of Judah. Then people will settle there and possess it. The children of his servants will inherit it and those who love his name will dwell there. David saw a day coming when the land would be united, when healed and cities would be populated. So you know, one way that we can pray this prayer is pray it thinking of all that Jesus suffered for us. That's a great way to pray this prayer. Jesus prays some of these verses, verses of this psalm, and man, if they're good enough for Jesus, they're sure good enough for us to pray. Uh, You've got this on your outline, there's a great deal of sorrow and tragedy in this life, but for the Christian, tragedy is never the last word. You know, I think we could say that verse 33 is really the key verse of this psalm. The Lord hears the needy and does not despise his captive people. He hears our prayers. Jesus prayed in great agony in Gethsemane that the cup would pass for him, and God did not remove the cup from him. Jesus had to drink it. But God did hear his prayer. God sent angels to minister to him. He was strengthened as he went through this trial. And this will be the case for us as well. God will strengthen us 
when we go through whatever we go through in our lives. You know, whatever cross you're given, talk to God about it. Don't stop talking to him about it. He will come and strengthen you. You know, there's a, an account I, I read recently about a man named Francis Thompson. Uh, at the encouragement of his parents, he went to med school in London at the age of 18. But through a series of circumstances that were really hard, uh, he, he got addicted to drugs. And this was in the 1800s when that didn't happen that often. And he found himself homeless and a drug addict. And um, he ended up coming to faith in Christ and became a writer and wrote a lot. One of the things he wrote was this. He said, running behind me invisibly and imperceptibly came the strong feet of Jesus that followed after me and pursued me like the hound of heaven, which is the name of a poem he wrote. And he said, it's all about the grace of God. It's about his grace in our lives. And that's the word for all of us, is God's grace. We, that's, that's how we come to faith in Christ, by the grace of God. I don't know if you know the author Juan Carlos, uh, Carlos Ortiz, but uh, he writes about grace, and he writes this. Watching a trapeze show is breathtaking. We wonder at the dexterity and the timing. We gasp at near misses. In most cases, there's a net underneath. When they fall, they jump up and bounce back to the trapeze. In Christ, we live on the trapeze. The whole world should be able to watch and say, look how they live, look how they love one another. Look how well the husbands treat their wives. And aren't they the best workers in the factories and offices? Aren't they the best students? Aren't they the best neighbors? That is to live on the trapeze, being a show to the world. What happens when we slip? The net is surely there. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ has provided forgiveness for all of our trespasses. Both the net and the ability to stay on the trapeze are works of God's grace. And of course, we can't be continually sleeping on the net. If that's the case, I doubt whether the person is a trapezist at all. So maybe there's a franticness that you feel about your life right now, that maybe you can't get that better foothold. Maybe you've, you're out to prove yourself. Maybe you're out to get more. Whatever it is, you're, there's maybe this, this about your life and irritability. As a Christian believer, you need to hear that you cannot and, and, and should not work for your salvation. It's been paid for you. And so stop trying to pay for it yourself. Jesus wants you to fall in love with him. Not just learn about him, but know him in a personal way. He came to show us what a servant is. But he just didn't show us what a servant was. He came to serve us. And on the day of his return, when he will wipe away every tear from our eyes, if that day is tomorrow, are you ready for that day? Do you know if it's tomorrow that you belong to him and will be with him for all eternity? If you don't, you can know by just receiving him. That's his promise. But he, as many as received him, he gave the right to become the children of God. 
even to those who believe on his name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you came to serve us by dying for us on the cross. Lord, will you love and accept me because I know that all my sin fell on you. I'm a sinner. I recognize that Jesus became sin for me so that I could be completely accepted by you. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what he suffered and died for, for us. Will you help us to live lives of repentance so that we can live as fully as possible under the grace that you shower on us as such an amazing gift? And if there's anyone here who has never received the gift of eternal life, by your grace, may they respond now in faith. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So this is from Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Alleluia. Blessed, fortunate, prosperous, and favored by God is the one who fears the Lord with awe-inspired reverence and worships him with obedience, who delights greatly in his commandments. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here. Please don't leave without introducing yourself to someone in front of you or behind you, and uh, hopefully stick around for the baptism. <laughs>